0: Excuses, I know, I know, I know. It's been a while, longer hiatus than normal, but the good news is I've got a lot of interviews in the can, so we're gonna have a lot of episodes coming up. And sorry, I'm a little under the weather, so I sound like I have a cold. It's because I do! This episode is going to be a little different than the other ones, uh, in that I am gonna be the one on the hot seat, sort of. I did a bit of a QA sort of thing at a bookstore in LA. It's a culinary bookstore called Now Serving and I was there on my book tour for Stockopedia. Buy it now where over five books are sold but especially buy it at Now Serving in LA if you're out that way. Courtney Kaplan who is from an izakaya called uh, Subaki in LA. Great place. She sort of led the discussion at the bookstore. It's a nice little change of pace for this podcast. We'll get back to the normal format in the next couple of episodes but yeah uh it's a good one only courtney and i were miked so when people are asking questions they may not be as audible but you can pretty much make out what they're saying big shout out to now serving they're great Uh, i'm so excited that they hosted me and it's a great bookstore so thanks again for having me so here we go (laughs)
1: Welcome, everybody, uh, to Now Serving. Uh, I'm Ken, and uh, this is actually the very first event in the shop this year. So thanks oh for yeah. coming. I'm <laughs> um, to take January off, apparently. So. Um, but we are so excited to kind of christen this year here in the shop um, with this great bo- new book. Jeff C. Letty here, uh, author of Drinkable Globe, at *Drinking uh, The Year of Drinking Adventurously, and his new book, Sockopedia. Um I'm very excited. I'm one of those people who I love drinking sake when I'm out uh, dining, but I really, I really feel uh, that I don't really know anything about it. Uh, that's why actually to have a book like this and then to actually have I, we, uh, Michelle and I automatically thought of Courtney here from Tsubaki. <laughs> <laughs> because, because the, the beverage service there with the sake, it, you there's, there's no pretense, there's no, um, you don't feel like you're about to, be you're being bullied or, uh, or you, ma- you, don't, you don't feel intimidated. So thank you, Courtney, for making us feel good when we come in.
2: Thank you for coming to see
1: us. Um, b- um, well We'll let you guys chat and then afterwards think about some questions we can ask uh, either the both of you, and then we'll do the signing up front at the counter. Very cool. All right, thanks so
2: much. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Um, So, obviously, you have a long history in the drinks business. I know you've written books about drinks around the world and a book about beer as well. Um, But what originally got you interested in sake as a beverage?
0: Well, it kind of started, I used to be the editor in chief of Beverage World. I started there about 16 years ago and then I just started getting immersed a little bit more into different drinks um, and it was around that time maybe a couple of years later that I I started to explore sake a little bit. I used to be like almost strictly a beer person and, um, and then I just sort of evolved, my tastes evolved and you know I, I got to a point where you know I Really love going at the Japanese restaurant, so I decided I, you know, I didn't know anything about sake then, so I started doing tasting flights and that sort of thing, and then I got really kind of serious about um, exploring it. You know, when I went to I went to Japan for the first time about 10 years ago, mm-hmm. and um, that was when I really started to kind of uh, really just seriously want to know w- what's the difference between like a ginjo, a daiginjo, and you know, it's a Hanjozo and all that other stuff like stuff. I didn't know anything about before and then you know I just decided to kind of dive even more into it. I took uh, the Sake School of America's uh, Certified Sake Advisor class and then I took uh, the Certified Sake Sommelier class so International Kiki Sake-shi they call it. So (laughs) It's (laughs) um, it's a fancy sounding name so uh, so yeah, so I did that and and you know, it was funny because I, I took that second level um while it, while I was in the process of writing this book too, so it was sort of like you know, <laughs> researching and writing at the same time and everything. So mm-hmm. it was kind of kind of cool.
2: That's interesting that you say that you were a beer drinker before, because you know oftentimes sake gets sort of mischaracterized as rice wine, but it's yeah. much closer to beer. I mean, it's it's its own has its own distinct fermentation, but it's much closer, I think, to beer. You know, we call it breweries and we say it's brewed. Do you think that there was some kind of crossover there for you as well?
0: I think th- I think yeah, there was part of that because I think. Um, It was almost like, in my own sort of narrow-minded way, um, I was that annoying friend who only wanted to drink beer. I wanted to go to beer bars. I wanted to, um, (laughs) you know, it was like, people would take me to cocktail bars and I'd want to see what they had for beer, like like craft cocktail bars, like really good mixology bars, and I'd want to see what their beer list was. You know, this was this was well over a decade ago, <laughs> so I wasn't really, uh, you know, and, and again, like I said, my taste evolved. But but with sake, it was like because when I learned that it is essentially brewed, um, it's a grain-based fermented beverage. It is uh, has a closer kinship to beer than it does to wine. It sort of I gave myself permission mm. to drink it because I didn't <laughs> feel like I was veering. Too far outside of beer, and now the weird thing is, I barely—I still drink beer, but um, you know, now like I'll go to Portland a couple times a year, and I won't even have a drop of beer now going. It's like I'm drinking so many other things now. Yeah, you know, I got really into spirits too, and I, you know, I'm—I'm just starting. Also, I'm starting a new gig uh, with the American Craft Spirits Association. We're launching a digital magazine. I'm gonna be editor in chief of that. So I've really got into spirits. Thank you, and I got—I got into spirits and. Uh, but sake is like my core passion now, so it, it's it's so much fun, and st- I still have so much more to learn, and I'm loving learning every moment of it.
2: That's awesome. Um, so I think the number one thing that I hear from at least guests in our restaurant about sake is pretty much exactly what Ken just said. Like, I love sake, I love drinking it, I want to go out to restaurants and drink more of it, but I have I know nothing about it, and I don't know where to start with it. Um, And in a restaurant setting, obviously it's easy to kind of pour people taste of things and sort of have the conversation But what if I you know, I worry about people when they want to just go to a shop and buy sake Or what if they want to dig really deep at home and start really learning about it? Um, What do you think are some good kind of points of entry for people with starting an exploration of sake?
0: I mean, I think that the best thing that they could do is just um, First of all like forget anything they may have heard forget any of the misconceptions that we've all kind of had about sake like the um, you know for instance once you start figuring out polishing ratios and um, you know what makes a ginjo a ginjo a daiginjo a ginjo a daiginjo a daiginjo daiginjo, daiginjo, um, like just forget anything anyone tells you don't don't look at the price on the bottle the price on the menu Um, More expensive doesn't mean better. Uh, Dai Ginjo, they're some of the best sake's there are, but it doesn't mean they're the best (laughs) style of sake. So you can, it is, it's very easy to start getting into sake without spending a lot of money and really knowing what good sake is, because I think that there's good, there's great sake within every, uh, every level, every, grade. Um, so just kind of start there. Um, know and also know that, for instance, a Honjozo, just because there's some added alcohol to it doesn't make it a lower quality product. That is done by design. It is not an economic decision. At one time, you know, after the war when there was a rice shortage, yeah, it was an economic deci- decision. But now it's you know, it's a whole, uh, It's it's like one Facet of a very broad portfolio that brewers are making because they're going after a desired flavor and aroma profile, so uh, So forget anything you may know like and also the whole hot versus cold thing Um, While Many people have when they first experience sake they experience Like if it's a place that has like one house sake and they usually serve it warm um, and the notion is that it's the cheap stuff that's that's warm. I mean, that sort of reputation started because, yeah, for a while when there was no taste for sake in the United States, um, we were getting sort of the very down market stuff, and they were serving it warm because it benefited from it. But but warm versus cold is really a stylistic thing. Like, if you have a lot of umami in that um, particular sake, it actually benefits a little bit from warming up. Not hot, but you know, you know. 10 degrees above room temperature it'll actually really open up some of those umami flavors whereas with something that's very fruity and floral you're not going to want to heat that up because that's going to destroy those flavors and aromas. so it's like little things like that um, in a nutshell just forget what you may think you've already heard because i think there's a lot of misinformation out there and i think that's one of the biggest barriers to the category in this country right now and that was a really long-winded <laughs> way to get to <laughs> the point. but
2: I mean, those are my top three things that, that I hear, too, is that I only drink junmai sake, which is the pure rice sake yeah. with no alcohol added. Um, even though a lot of brewers who I've met in Japan have said that when they're not working, they're drinking their honjozo because it's oftentimes lighter. Yeah. Um, it's and they enjoy that style. It's not an inferior style or only only bad sake is served hot. And then also that I only drink daiginjo. So I think those are the big three. It's really interesting to hear
0: you say that as well yeah and I, and I think that there is um, and even like among some of the brewers in Japan there are uh, they have their own sort of biases too like there are some people that only want to make June May, but um, I think it's it's really just about um, just educating yourself and just knowing that uh, there's beauty in just about every style and like you know like you think of Futsu which is like common sake, ordinary sake, um, the typically down-market stuff. I had one that was brewed, you know it was like their Brewmasters special select, I can't remember what it was, I can't remember who the brewer was, but I tried it at a at a at a festival and I'm like oh what is that what is that a mine?" Mine? It's like no that's a Futsu and I'm like you're kidding me and it's like no it was just like this amazingly complex thing Um, you know, it was, uh, uh, you know, it was Yamada Nishiki rice, so they were really playing up that aspect of it, and it was just like, you can make really great futushu, It just basically means that it wasn't polished to 70%, so it's just like, um, so yeah, so you, like, when you don't, as far, and I don't know, like, I don't know what people's, um, familiarity level with sake is, like, how familiar would you say some of you are, anybody care to... (laughs) Like half and half, fifty moderate. Do you want me to just okay? I I can do that easily. Yeah. So I just mentioned Futsushu, which is common sake, um, and that that's probably that's probably the vast majority of what is sold in Japan. I mean, it's you know it's just everyday. It's the table wine of sake, basically. Um, and then you get to Um, And this is where it gets a little complicated because the term junmai basically means pure rice. It means there's no added spirit to it. Uh, However, uh, you could have a futsushu that is pure rice, but it won't be called a junmai until it gets to that like 70% polish ratio, meaning that 30% of the outer husk of the rice is polished off. So then they'll start calling it junmai Mai once it gets to that level. Um, and then Hanjozo, the same thing. Like Hanjozo, you could have, you have a futsu shoe, like, and, and probably a good number of futsu are do have the added alcohol. You don't really hear them calling them Hanjozo until you get to that 70% polish ratio. Then when you get to 60%, so say uh, between 60 and 69%, um, that's, I mean, si- between 60 and 69%, you're still i'm sorry between 61 and 70 percent you're still in that junmai hanjozo level once you get to 60 percent so 60 to 51 percent and this again this is what how much of the rice is remaining uh, that's when you get into ginjo grade and and if it's a pure rice ginjo it'll be called junmai ginjo if it's got added alcohol it's just gonna be called ginjo um they won't call it ginjo hanjozo it's just ginjo and then you polish it further, you get down to uh, as soon as you hit 50%. So half of the rice is polished away. And if you're at 50% there, you're at Dai Ginjo. If it's pure rice, it's junmai daiginjo. Dai Ginjo. And there are some people that go crazy with their Dai uh, um, You know, for instance, one of the ones that I have with me that, <coughs> excuse me, is... Um, is Psi 50, which is basically their entry point Dai Ginjo, but they also have a 39, which means that 39% of the rice is left. They've also got a 23, which means that there's 23% of the rice. And now I'm not sure if it was them, but I heard of somebody who, uh, it's become like a, a competition to see how much they can polish the rice away. Um, somebody has like a 9%, Dia Ginjo an 8% and then somebody <laughs> told me last year that somebody actually got it down to 1% <laughs> and that's basically water you know it's <laughs> just <laughs> so that's um but yeah and the reason why again like I mentioned that the reason why Dai is so expensive like people automatically think oh it means it's better and it is great but the thing is it's very delicate it's uh usually got a fruity floral aroma sometimes you'll get this deep kind of tropical fruit pineapple aroma and it's gorgeous, but, um, but it's so expensive because you have to use so much more rice to get enough to put in, in, in the batch. So it's like, so it just costs you more in rice. And also the time that it takes to polish, the more polished it is, it takes, you know, significantly longer. And it's not, somebody's not p- sitting there polishing it by hand. I mean, they have these really tall uh, rice polishing machines where it's like fed through the top, and then it comes down through what they th- call these things Congo Rolls, and it's basically just gradually like paring away the outer parts of the rice and keeps going through and through, and you know, lo- and takes days and sometimes weeks to get r- it really down to a very low polish ratio. I mean, the term is same my but um, that means like polish ratio. and. Um, so they um so obviously time time is money so and then raw materials are money and using more more raw materials means that you're going to have a more expensive sake so i mean it's usually worth the money but just keep in mind that it's not because like you know the, the robert parker of sake rated it like a 98 you know it's just <laughs> <laughs> so
2: I think oftentimes too with joe, they're wonderful in the right context. Mm-hmm. It's not maybe you're eating food also that doesn't always call for it too. Like yeah, I think yeah. they can be very specific sometimes with um, what they pair with.
0: Totally, and actually, I think the more the more uh, polished it is, the less you want to really pair it with anything because yeah. it's just like because the flavor and aroma is so delicate, it's it's going to just mm-hmm. get overpowered by anything. I mean, you can usually go like um, certain milder sashimis. I think you can go with with daiginjo and it'll go really nicely but but if you're getting like some stronger fish like a like a mackerel a Spanish mackerel you really don't want to do it with that
2: yeah kind of gets a lot or overpowers sometimes. yeah too. yeah um, so speaking of pairing my favorite absolute favorite part of your book was the section on pairing with non-Japanese food. Oh yeah. I thought that was really interesting and um, you know, sake consumption has been in decline in Japan domestically for such a long time. I just read a stat that I think like down 30% since the 70s, like people in Japan it seems like are not really drinking a ton of sake. And I hear a lot of brewers say that too and they really are looking to the international market and in particular the U.S. kind of as the the future for their industry. And I think for, for me at least for that to happen, I think that maybe sake needs to kind of break out of that Japanese restaurant box that it often gets put in and people Needs need to drink it at home or in non-Japanese restaurants with other types of food. Um, so I was curious what your thoughts were and on some real some interesting pairings that people can play with. Um, with yeah, no, foods.
0: and also, I mean, first, I, I think right now, um, and again, I've got a lot of those sort of non-traditional pairings because I'm, I'm hoping that the American market gets to that point where people don't just think of it as yeah. something to pair with Japanese food or, or you know, Pan-Asian food. Um, but I don't think we're even close to being there <laughs> yet. Um, because I right now I just want people to, to order it when they're at a Japanese restaurant yeah. you know I want people to try it because like I, I don't think as far as distribution goes I think it's it's a real challenge for um, a lot of breweries and distributors to really get it into those non Asian accounts mm-hmm. so right now let's let's sort of get to that point where people you know are at a Japanese restaurant and they say oh look there's a Chardonnay on the menu let me order that right. and then maybe they'll order They'll, they'll discover sake a little bit. And then I think we can get to that point where um, where we're pairing it with other things. But an interesting thing about that was, um, th- the last time I was in Japan was a little over a year ago. And um, one of the things that a lot of the brewers kept telling me, it was a sort of a recurring theme, um, was they'd always say, this pairs well with a hamburger. They always kept <laughs> saying, it was always a hamburger. <laughs> because they really are trying to uh, th- they're they're pretty much depending on us as their big market yeah. so they they really want it to pair with western food yeah. and um and, you know pizza is another big one and also cheese i mean cheese actually goes remarkably well with oh. cheese and nobody really thinks about it yeah. but um you know because you get a lot of the same kind of funky cultury notes that uh, in some of the the more uh, complex sake so it really it really works well and I think like yeah from from a standpoint of from from an on-premise standpoint from dining out it's I think it's gonna be hard unless like there's some really pioneering uh, restaurants bar and grills or Italian restaurants or what have you that start stocking a few and they bring and they have somebody knowledgeable on staff to come on and and get people to try it with pasta or whatever but I think as far as like the real Financial opportunity. It really is in, in most of the, the Asian locations right now. But I think from, from an off premise standpoint, I think mm-hmm. once people discover it mm-hmm. at the restaurants and bars, you know, and they, they find a bottle they like, a couple of different brands they like, they bring it home. I mean, they don't have to wait until they're having Japanese food at home. They don't have to like order in sushi or whatever to have their sake. I mean, they can pretty much have it with anything. I mean, I, I drink it with just about anything now, too. And it's just, um, and I think that it's actually more versatile. Of a pairing partner than than most wine is. I mean, wine wine goes amazingly well with food, but you can go horribly wrong with pairings if you don't do it right. Whereas the term that I you know speaking with other like Somalis and people like that is um, sake is very forgiving, and there are some that go better than others with some things. Like for instance, um, we'll talk about you know, Jumai for instance tends to have uh, you know a bit more umami too because you have uh, there's still a lot of protein and fat left because that's really what you're polishing away when you're polishing the rice and um, so you get more of that umami flavor um, so you can go with stronger dishes like that you can go with you know say a, a medium rare burger with blue cheese on it I think, some, I think that's a great pairing and another example that I use Um, and and I talked about this in in San Francisco yesterday and people gasped so it was just like because I I mentioned a hot dog and everyone's like oh my god a hot dog (laughs) (laughs) did you realize you're in California (laughs) (laughs) um, I'm like uh, because like I'm I'm originally from New Jersey and we have uh, we have what's called (laughs) a Texas wiener there which I grew up thinking was a Texas thing but it turns out it has no connection to Texas whatsoever (laughs) they just called it that back in like the early 20th century because it had chili on it so like oh they ate chili in texas so we'll call it a texas cleaner <laughs> but the the new jersey version is you have like the the dog itself is deep fried so um but not not like a corn dog it's not like breaded or anything like that mm-hmm. you just drop it in some hot oil and it's like a ripper a, a ripper right? exactly yeah that's 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 where the term came from those were pretty much invented in new jersey because it rips the skin and it gives like you know it really is a richer flavor in the hot dog too and then uh, you put this chili sauce on it that doesn't have any beans in it but it's it's almost got like some baking spice in it it's more of a you, know, you get bits of cinnamon nutmeg that kind of thing in there it's really good and then the way they serve it all the way everything on it is um, that sauce chopped raw onions and mustard and I think like you get something like a like a junmai or like a s- or even something like a uh you know a, a, a kimoto something like <laughs> that with a lot of complexity to it and a lot of funkiness to it i think it's just it's just such a great pairing i don't think we're ever gonna <laughs> get i don't think in my <laughs> lifetime we're ever gonna have a world where people are pairing <laughs> sake with hot dogs <laughs> but um not not here anyway i mean um but i would like to see that because i think it is it is undiscovered country <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I will say I have some friends here in LA who do these little events at their homes that they call pizza kaya where they get a bunch of pizzas and a bunch of sake oh, and play awesome. r- and do a bunch of pairings with it so I think the future maybe it may be not in my lifetime either but I think it's um, <laughs> I have high hopes that, it will yeah. that we'll get there and I do think in LA there's a lot of more opportunity outside of Japanese restaurants I know like major Domo the David Chang restaurant has some sake on the menu and he's serving all kinds of food I think that I do think that L.A. in particular has some opportunity oh, yeah. for, for sake to get out there, but I agree it has a, a long road. Um, I will say in your book I noticed there were very few venues in L.A. listed for places to drink sake. Do you, th- do you think that there, as a city that we're behind other cities? or
0: No, not, not at all, actually. I think that um, I just wanted to um, – it, it's weird because I think it was more a matter of there were a lot of places that have – very robust and very similar selections, more yeah. so than where I'm from. But yeah. um, but it was more like, what are the places that really sort of stood out for me? Yeah. You know, were the places that I'd been back to more than once and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. I didn't wanna, you know, th- some places I just had gone once that like, yeah, this was good, but is it gonna make the book? Right. But there's the one place, and I'm staying in the hotel now uh, in, in Little Tokyo at the Miyako Hotel um, on the second floor, they have this um, this sake lounge, and it's like it looks like it's straight out of the '70s, and mm-hmm. it's and they've got karaoke, and they've got an amazing sake list, and that's just <laughs> the vibe there. That's that's why that made my book. So it was sort of, but you know, I, I do spend a lot of time talking about Portland only because I'm in love with their approach to serving sake because it's like they they've got pretty much the highest per capita consumption of sake outside of Japan. Did they really? in yeah. Portland. Be and it's in the reason is because of the way they built the market there, everybody serves everything by the glass. And that's like that was key. It was like there's this one place, like one of my favorite places, and this is in the book too, is Zilla in Portland. They have at any given time they have around a hundred different sake to choose from every single one is available by the glass so and that's what gets people to buy it because people don't want to commit especially if they don't really know much about sake or they're they're just completely new to the category and they want to try it but do they want to spend 70 bucks on a bottle you know so it's no it's like they'll spend 12 bucks on a on a good glass or a flight or something like that and you know that helps bring more people in so i think that that kind of has contributed to why portland is such a good market for sake so i you know i kind of give them a little um little more lopsided praise than (laughs) other places and and I'm not from there I mean I just love the city but um, you know that that was really it it wasn't that I I just didn't think that LA's behind anything it was just um, my own familiarity in the places that really kind of stood out for me so
2: I've been hearing a lot about Zilla I think I need to get up there to visit them no it's amazing seems like they're doing some special stuff up there And then I guess my last question was, um, we were talking a little bit before that we sat down today about sake brewing in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's a lot of breweries that are kind of popping up across the U.S. What do you sort of see as the the future there?
0: I think we're finally at a point, and this this is only um, in the last two to three years have we started to get there, because I think there had been sake production in the U.S., but um, I would not say that there was ever really a craft level of it. I mean, you had the big sake brewers from Japan that set up shop in like Northern California with their, you know, and their their vision was just to provide um, cheap, accessible sake to the American market that had absolutely no experience with it whatsoever. So then. I think one of the game changers was in the 90s when when Sake One and here we go back to Portland again <laughs> the <get, but> Sake <laughs> One in Forest Grove, Oregon. Um, they r- initially started out as an importer and then around 1997 they decided to start brewing their own. And mm-hmm. they've kind of b- for me they've been sort of the gold standard of what American s- sake brewers should be striving for because like they're you know, like their ginjo, like their silver is as good as anything at that grade coming out of out of Japan and it's a lot cheaper I mean you can get a good bottle of that stuff for 13 bucks and for a comparable Japanese version you're going to spend like 25 to 30 for it so it's it's definitely great for that it's the Momokawa label That's sake one if you've ever seen Momokawa that's uh, sake one out of of Oregon is producing that and then um, we didn't really have much activity after that they pretty much were the only game in town for the most part until um, a couple of other places started opening up like in Asheville North Carolina there were two at one time um, there was one called blue kudzu and there's one called Ben's Tuneup. it's a basically a, a beer bar and brew pub that has like a, you know pretty good food menu it's, it's mostly like Asian inspired fare um, and it's, it's called Ken's tune-up because it's an old garage that they converted into a. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they have a sake brewery there. Um, Blue Kudzu didn't have that sort of food business. So they failed because they weren't in a spot where there was any good foot traffic. And um, they were pretty much for production and distribution only. I mean, I think they had a tasting room, but nobody knew it was there. Whereas Ben's up uh, they don't have to rely on their sake. They they got food, they got beer and and their sake. I mean, I'm gonna have to cut this out. I'm actually recording this for my podcast. That's why we got the recording here, <laughs> but um I'm gonna have to cut this part out, but <laughs> <I don't laughs> but their sake is lousy. And it's <laughs> like <they're> <laughs> <laughs> I mean the the one place that's they were the wrong the wrong place survived in Asheville. That was <laughs> the thing. Uh, so in that so so yeah so blue Kudzu probably went under I would say four years ago Um, but after that is when we finally started seeing people get serious because at one point there was Texas sake which is in Austin Um, they're they're a sake brewery and I hadn't had their stuff before they changed hands but apparently previously they weren't that good but then when they sold to the new owners they they started getting serious about it and and it's good stuff Um, and then Just a year and a half ago, um, um, in in Nashville, Tennessee, um, proper sake opened, and their focus, which is uh, not the focus of a lot of sake brewers here, a lot of people are just are focusing mostly on ginjo. They're just going for junmai because their their owner um, Byron, he spent a lot of time in Japan, and that's the stuff that he loved drinking. He said, "I'm going to bring this to." The U.S. market, and he's doing just a phenomenal job with it. And, and you know, it's like you think Nashville, Tennessee—the last thing you think is sake—but they're mm. they're like one of the top ones in the country, as far as I'm concerned. And then um, there's Brooklyn Kura in um, in Brooklyn. Um, they just opened literally a year ago this month, so and they're they're fantastic too. So it's great—we're finally seeing good stuff. Because I my aside from sake one, my experience with American quote unquote craft sake was Ben's tune up and it didn't really bode well for <laughs> what was gonna happen. So <laughs> I'm I'm very I'm very encouraged and of course I've and I've got a sake actually that you're gonna taste from one of the other great ones uh, uh is um uh sequoia up in up mm-hmm. in San Francisco and I was just there yesterday and, and their stuff is incredible and, and I brought I brought like their Um, unpasteurized sake so it's going to have some really cool flavor to it and they don't like to they only they don't really distribute that beyond the brewery I think they've got a couple of accounts in San Francisco that they will distribute it but they do another one that they call coastal which is available for the rest of California and that's because it is pasteurized because it doesn't travel well And it's unless you're keeping it the proper temperature it's going to it's not gonna taste good so he, he doesn't want it to hurt his brand if people aren't like handling it well beyond there so it's like he just goes with the coastal so so you're getting a rare opportunity to taste um, Sequoia's Nama outside of San Francisco so <laughs> um, but yeah there so I would say it's those four right now are I think and also so what I say is so Sequoia in San Francisco uh, in Brooklyn in and Brooklyn uh, proper sake in Nashville, sake one obviously, and I'm also kind of a fan of. Um, I actually just learned yesterday somebody told me I was pronouncing it wrong this whole time. It's uh, Moto I in, in Minneapolis. Oh. I thought <laughs> I always thought it was Moto E because yeah. I figured they were pronouncing it like the Japanese way, but I- this guy corrected me when I was giving my <laughs> talk yesterday. But they're in Minneapolis. They're also they're like a, a sake brew pub, which is really cool. So that's know a lot of places you have a tasting room but you're not like a full-on pub with food and everything like that but they're like they've brought like the the brew pub concept to, to sake and they're making great stuff so um, so it's encouraging so I would say it was at five I think that are doing a good job and some other ones I'm not going to mention because <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to cut it out but <laughs> <laughs> but it's encouraging I think we're, we're heading in the right direction I think right now I don't know the number I hear is around 20 right now in the U.S. Um, is that about what you? About, yeah, yeah. give or take. I, I'd like to see that number in a couple of years get to 50, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, it's never going to be the size of craft beer or craft spirits, but I think like if we get to a place where there are 100 sake breweries in the U.S., I think that's going to be a good place to be. Yeah, so.
2: I'm guessing everybody probably wants to taste some sake sometime <laughs> soon, yeah. but. Yes, sorry, I ramble
0: a lot. <laughs> no. no. I, kn- I, kn- I, kn- I don't know how to give a concise
1: <laughs> answer.
2: Um, should we see if there's questions
1: yeah, anybody? anybody? Got any questions for Chef?
0: Right back behind you.
1: Um, a question, and then before you answer, a comment, which is kind of funny. So, what is your favorite thing to eat with sake? But before you answer, just, so you know, I grew up in the French area in the Nisei neighborhood, and the first thing I ever had with sake was the mother of a friend of mine, Mrs. Toji, would make Sushi. So she would take a hot dog. Oh, really? And just so you know, and this is a million years ago, that's the first thing I ever had with sake. So hot dogs are a tradition in some places. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also,
0: like, when you're asking me what my, my favorite things to, e- to eat, and again, like, you know, I keep saying we're going to get to this place where um we're eating Western food with sake, but I still sort of default a lot to Asian type fare. I mean, I like. You know any of your because it's just it just goes so damn well with it is the, the any type of like izakaya kind of stuff you know and to kind of go with the hot dog theme, um, you have like a, a korobuta sausage that you'll get there and that goes that goes amazingly well with it.
1: Sounds
0: um <laughs> like <laughs> 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 Hot dog sushi. it's <laughs> <laughs> like a long, time ago. <laughs> a long time ago, but it was you
1: know the neighborhood.
0: Yeah, and, and it's it's like anything. Um, I you know I I still eat. Um, you know, I'll, I'll eat sushi with sake, but th- there are a couple different schools of thought on that. There's some people that it's, there's an old kind of uh, tradition. It's like, oh, don't eat, you're drinking rice with rice? Don't don't do that. Like in some Japanese circles, we it's not dying. so much anymore. No, but <laughs>
1: you
0: know. no, it's like, and, and I actually went to Japan. Everyone's like, no, no one really says that anymore. It was a few people that that kind of used to be a, a, a thing, but now it doesn't really. It's not really. But so so it's like. Um, You know any kind of meat I think is is really good especially when it's um, You know pork is always great um, especially when it's um, Got a nice sort of rich sauce on it, you know like a good pork chop with like a Like a soy reduction sauce on it. I mean and again it depends on the style of sake too, but Tho- those are the kind of things that I like and, and again and I do I am a fan of cheese with sake. Cheese does go well and I do a lot of pairings that I've been to it's like that's sort of like the go-to and then even in Japan like when I'd go to the breweries they'd be giving me cheese with the sake and they're like here have this with this so and different cheeses different sakes like you get the night nuttier hard cheeses I think they tend to go with the like more grain forward sakes too so Yes. Oh, should, um, your,
2: um, when you, you start can take so. how <laughs> i think it's important for me to a certain extent i don't think it's kind of the end all be all i think you can learn a lot more from a wine region than you can from a sake region at yeah. least in my experience um with sake you know they'll, they'll put the region on the label is where it's made but you could be buying rice from anywhere across the country oftentimes it's not local sometimes the water usually the water is local but yeah. there's times when the water isn't even local either i met a brewer recently who said he drives two hours to the neighboring prefecture to his like his Sister's f- um, well to pick up water um, and bring it back to his brewery daily. Um, I think that there's certain styles that are associated with certain regions, um, depending on the mineral content of the water that can affect it too. If a region has very hard water or very soft water, but I, um, I think it only gets you so far. I think something like learning the big ones, like learning Niigata sake up in mm-hmm. the north, tends to be kind of they pioneered a style that's like crisp, light, and dry, and that's sort of what the region's known for, and sort of trying to fi- like learn the bi- I think you have it in your book the big four which y- I thought yeah was a nice way to think about it okay. and to kind of pick the major regions and there'll always be exceptions to those but to start kind of breaking it down in that way oftentimes conventional wisdom says that c- as you go further sort of north it tends to get drier and the further south you go or into western Japan it tends to get a little sweeter and richer so kind of broad overview but I don't think it's always the the simplest way to kind of make sense of sake. I don't know how you feel about
0: it. Well, I mean, just just to sort of sort of piggyback a little bit off of the the nigata style, um, it, it is it, it is basically there. It's incredibly I- the thing is it's like Niigata is a pretty snowy region, and you c- wh- when you're in these snowier regions, you tend to get the more crisp, um, drier sakes like that. However, now they're all trying to sort <laughs> of distinguish themselves. Like everywhere I went. Um, whether it was true or not they were like this here try this one this one is not a typical nigata <laughs> style there's more umami to this mm-hmm. and it's like because they're really trying again I think they're really trying to they, I think they were just trying to sell me because you know I they saw me as somebody who represented the American market and it's like um, you know this will go well with with American food so it's like yeah mo- nigata has its style Um, and everybody is going in most places it's going to be pretty consistent but there will be some of the people that are really trying to break out of that style so they can more or less uh, differentiate themselves from each other (laughs) but yeah so that that's um but like you said though it is it is really they are getting the rice from everywhere else and it's not like in some places you know they've got their own what is it Hoshi Tanrei is that the Niigata rice they kind of created their own style of rice but the vast majority of what they're making there isn't with Hoshi right. They're using like Yamada Nishiki like everybody else's so sort of um, yeah so it's it's yeah I, I would not say I think regionality um, is kind of a slippery slope when you try to go down that.
2: No, <laughs> it's a hard question to answer because yeah. it, it matters but it doesn't tell you the whole story oftentimes. I would say. I
0: mean, it's very similar to Scotch actually because you know you, you think of like Isla whiskey as being Peaty and smoky, but now everybody is is trying to make a peaty scotch because that's where the palates were going. And, like, you know, Space Side scotch was supposed to be, you know, fruitier, but, you know, you go to Space Side and everyone's making a peaty scotch now. So, like, the the regionality of it is blurring. So, I think once you start uh, going down that road, it's like you're boxing yourself in because uh, the producers themselves don't want to be boxed in.
1: Your training notes for the staff—do you share with them um, cer- certain different aspects or a- like a di- di- different emphasis when you're when you're when you want them to learn about sake as opposed to uh, beer and wine and, and and other things, or do you just treat it just the same?
2: I think for the most part, I treat it the same. I mean, ultimately, they're there to sort of be the conduit between the sake and the guest, and they need to be able to speak to guests in a way that makes sense and be able to sort of kind of translate it for them essentially. Um, I think that the biggest challenge is most of my staff comes in with no knowledge whatsoever. We don't, nobody who's working with us now had any sake experience prior to that, um, which can be a good or a bad thing. I mean, it's nice to kind of like a blank slate. We can sort of, you know, train them as like, sort of in our philosophy, but it's just, I try to be as open as possible, a lot of tasting and the same with guests too, like just trying to pour a lot of taste. For me, I think also, Something that sake suffers from in the US is it's kind of like a a faceless product. Like I don't think people often see the people behind it and trying to sort of give them little stories about maybe who this brewer is or what is what are they eating in this region or what are people there pairing with it. Things like that that kind of give a little bit of humanity to sake. Yeah, because I think people connect to that too. I mean, you can have, you know, we'll have 10 ginjos on the list and I think that they're all delicious, but like the, where's the kind of the connection point for people? And I think for guests sometimes it is hearing these stories or here's this guy who loves Burgundy and he studies all these regions of Burgundy and now he grows his own rice. So that maybe is a good thing for a wine drinker to taste or here's this brewery that's been around for 500 years and they haven't changed anything and they do everything with rope pulleys and sort of trying to find the, the interesting stories to help them. Um, and I, th- you know, for the staff, I've they just they kind of just have to be a couple steps ahead of the guest essentially, cause for the most part, people are coming in really not knowing very much, and our goal is just to make it really accessible and really fun and unintimidating, um, and something where people can feel comfortable drinking it. Um, but the, the training is a, a big part of what we do. I think we spend—it's—it's it's always a work in progress, basically.
0: So how? what, what how, I'm sorry. I just wanted to ask: How, how yeah. does the like, like, what sort of the training protocols that you go through there? I mean, like, what? Um, how are how are people trained, retrained, and like, how much? tasting is actually going on among the staff and that sort of stuff
2: there's lots of tasting going on amongst the staff um (laughs) (laughs) which makes them happy but um, (laughs) usually when people start when they come on board with us i have them come in usually one or two afternoons before service and first thing we'd like just get the vocabulary out of the way because i think that you know, when you were explaining earlier, the differences between Junmai, Ginjo, Dai Ginjo, what's a Genshu, what's a Kimoto, all of those things, like let's get the vocabulary down so that when they look at a label, at least they have a starting point um, and they need to go home and memorize it. And then we just start kind of tasting through what I think are like kind of benchmark examples of each style, Mm -hmm. saying, okay, if you want a really classic Yamaha, what is that gonna be? You know, it's gonna be kind of gamey and earthy and maybe have like mushroom or soy sauce and that's kind of what we're going to use as like our yamaha example and this is the gin- a really kinjoey sake and just sort of starting to get the language connecting the, the language with the actual product that's in the glass with the flavors and the aromas um, and then just start thinking about how we're going to then explain this to guests essentially but it's every time we bring a new sake on the list we all taste it together we talk about it we talk about what we might want to pair with it um they like c- almost everything we pour is by the glass as well um it's not anywhere near 100 sake but we have this usually about 30 to 40 and they're always open and I encourage them to go back and revisit if they're in the middle of service and they have a guest that says hey I really want XYZ in my sake and they're not a hundred percent sure they take a taste and see if it's the right fit Um, just kind of always trying to build on Mm -hmm. their knowledge but it's um it's a long road for sure it takes it takes a long time to get people there
0: what are some of the more common um, sort of recurring questions you get from people and well I mean guests not not yeah from
2: I think that it's, people don't really know even what to ask for mm. is the biggest problem. They don't even really know where to start with sake. The only thing they know is that they want something dry, which I think is the same thing that people, I've worked in wine as well, and the same thing they say with wine, and oftentimes they don't even really know what dry means. So I, if I can <laughs> <laughs> can kind of, sorry to be blunt, but it's kind <laughs> of true. It's true, <laughs> no, it's just, uh, yeah, no,
0: it, it <laughs> is true.
1: It's.
2: Uh, But so what I just encourage the staff to do and what I do myself is just okay If if we're really starting with a guest who doesn't know anything Let's just bring a couple of tastes to the table and let them taste it and tell me what they think And then at least it gives us a starting point like even if the words they're using don't correspond to the way I would use them. I I like glass number two. I'm like, okay I know what that what that means and what world we're in Um, But I think get the people seem really excited about sake like I get really geeky questions I get people asking Recently, I've had a bunch of people asking for nama. It's the spring season right now, so we're getting in all the fresh pressed sake that's unpasteurized. Like people asking for nama genshu, like mm. there's The level of education is starting to surprise me in LA, but I would say the number one thing I hear is just what Ken said, that uh, I love sake. I want to learn about it, but I don't know anything. Um, I find it helpful too sometimes with people to kind of put it into the context of the larger world. Like, oh, so you don't know what you like in sake. What kind of wine do you like? Or what kind of spirits do you like? And sort of try to at least get a handle on their palate that way.
0: Yeah, yeah. You
2: know, if they say I like really big red wines, okay, maybe this, they want like this kind of bigger, richer, junior, or oh, yeah, yeah. things like that um, can be helpful.
0: Any other questions from the crowd? Uh, yes.
1: Are there stores or websites that you can recommend for purchasing sake to drink at home? I mean, normally I just go, we, we're lucky we live by a wonderful wine shop called Domain LA, which has a really Yeah, I'll be, I'll be there tomorrow. They They yeah. invited yeah. me to do a <laughs> signing. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's just going we'll see to the Japanese a market. But are there are there stores in the United States or websites that are good places to purchase sake for add
0: I I personally um I usually I, I don't think I've ever bought anything online sake wise. Okay. I mean I mean it's also it's a state by state thing. California you've got way more liberal shipping laws than, than we do in other parts of the country, so um but um you know I usually find um especially when I travel somewhere here um, or San Francisco or Portland or something like that I, I, c- I basically can walk into any um, supermarket you know even you know especially when you find uh, an Asian supermarket they're gonna have a really good sake selection um, and and then other times you know I um, you know I still have stuff I brought back from Japan I haven't opened so it's like I haven't really gone shopping do, I mean do you know Where to shop around? I mean, because like I'm not from around here, so I'm probably not really. But I, I mean, I know, True Sake in, in San Francisco. I think they've got an online shop, don't they? Yeah.
2: That's what I was going to recommend. They'll ship overnight GSO to LA, and they have a great. I think they're one of only three dedicated sake shops in the U.S. It's just them, and then Sakaya in New York, and then there's one in Honolulu. Oh, Sakaya, yeah. Um, but but True Sake is great, and they will ship here, and they have. They have really good descriptions on their website. And then I think Umami Mart in Oakland, they have a sake club, I think, too. I don't know if they ship to LA, but I know they do have like a monthly kind of subscription club, and they have a great selection there, too.
0: (laughs) Yes.
1: Because in it's like a kind of a place we're at right now, but what do
2: you think about sake? I think it's gotten a lot better. Um, I think there's still a long ways to go. I think a lot of the, the major distributors, like if you go to a lot of restaurants in LA, if you look at their list, it's primarily sake f- from comp- being distributed by companies that are mostly grocery. They mostly do dry goods and things like that and they also have sake as well and they have great sake portfolios but they're really focused on grocery and they don't have do any outreach at all to the market Um, so they they're sort of resting on their laurels a little bit and knowing that they have these like long kind of established accounts that are just going to keep reordering from them but they don't do a lot of work to kind of get out there or to even necessarily do any education or bring on new breweries but I think I mean, th- we've been open for two years at my restaurant, and even in those two years, I've seen a few new importers pop up on the market. They're mostly based in San Francisco, but they're kind of working their way down here, who are bringing in interesting sake and really trying to make inroads in LA, which is great, and, and do education and go actually meet buyers and, and get their sake out there, but there's a, it's a a long, a long way to go. New York I think has a I w- used to work in New York for a long time and I think New York has a better has better distribution. LA is still I think they're still s- kind of a little bit old fashioned in the way they do some distribution here a lot. The Japanese the market I think is a little older and I think people are a little <coughs> comfortable with where things are, but I think
1: but that's just like what happened with the here, right? Yeah, I d-
2: mm-hmm. fingers crossed. I mean, I hope yeah. I hope so. I think um, uh, also I think I'm seeing more restaurants in LA starting to work with these smaller importers too and I think the more that happens the more growth will happen uh, when they when b- people start seeing the demand is there i think things will start to change more quickly
0: i hope i'm seeing some some good progress happening and not so much on the distribution side but on the importer side they're hiring hmm. like sake portfolio managers now like people who are you know former so- former sommeliers of sake who are actually on staff now like um you know a friend of mine jamie graves at skernick he used to Run the beverage program at uh, Sakamai in New York, um, and they just hired him away at Skernik, and now like they're doing an amazing job with their stuff. And then even even with some distributors, and I know I keep going back to Portland, but um, uh, there's a guy who works for Young's Market Company, like one of the big distributors, and his name's Marcus, and he is he's responsible for like the whole Pacific Northwest, and he, I, you know, a lot of people like you know when people talk about why is Portland such a great market, if you talk to a lot of the accounts in Portland, they're gonna tell you it's because of Marcus, because he just, his passion for it, um, especially in Young's is like one of the top five wine and spirits distributors in the country, and the fact that they've got somebody on staff who is that knowledgeable and that uh, passionate about it, it really, I mean, a lot of the, the restaurants and, and bars in, in um, Portland will say the reason the market's the way it is is because, you know, markets made it that way. So he's, he's a little more humble about it, but, I mean, everyone else kind of gives him the props, though.
1: Guys, um, I think we're all ready to try some sake. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I forgot. And, uh, I do want to say, unless you're eating a hot dog at home, Please go to s- Echo Park Subaki, please? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Charles will, will do a, a ripper over We there. We do
2: Dodger Dog sometimes because yeah. we're right by Dodger Stadium, yeah. so we oh, do nice. a Japanese Dodger Dog during the oh. season, and it tastes delicious with sake, so it's <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> I, you know. So it sounds, uh, sounds like we need, like, a summer of sake, like <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean... Kids I'll running around,
2: <laughs> doing, like, <laughs> sake on their arms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. The Drinkable.